jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out All I'm saying, Stacy, is that I thought, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought the directors of Goodnight Mommy were no longer going to be the directors of Goodnight Mommy. Do you know what I mean? Well, I thought that the film was going to be called The Lodge and not Goodnight Another Mommy. Goodnight Mommy yet again. Yeah. Good night, also, that mommy. <laughs> like, I would rather watch Night Mother on loop if, if we're going in that genre, <laughs> if that oof. I would rather watch that just endlessly yeah. than, yeah. than, than uh, Mother, I shall put you to bed rest once more. Yes. Mother, I secretly drive you crazy. Like, only geez. for the sake of a twist. Like I, I, is it I even know a twist? It, well, I, I think it, yeah, I think it was a twist, or at least meant to be one. I feel like I wish somebody had told me what the lodge was, and that would have spoiled it. But it also would have saved me seven fifty, and two hours of my ever shortening life. I feel baited. I feel fucking baited. I feel baited. Like I feel like those videos where they get the buff hunk and they put the blindfold on him. And they're like, reach over here. Like, I feel like that, but it's a little film called The Lodge. And they said, you know what, Anthony? Hey, you like Alicia Silverstone and you believe she deserves a comeback, despite the amazing atrocity that was vamps. (laughs) I mean, I realize that she's arguably the biggest star in the film, but boy, oh boy, did I feel cheated. Out of Alicia Silverstone. Look, if you don't want the Lodge spoilers, fast forward, like, fast two, forward hours. two hours. Two hours, because we have a lot of fucking feelings. <laughs> this isn't even a Lodge episode, but we have a lot of fucking feelings. I'm we, so mad at We the literally, lodge. like, uh, I saw it. I just posted, like, how Alicia Silverstone's the only good part. I immediately get a message from Stacy that's just like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. spoil it because Stacy didn't realize I had it. I had seen it. Then the next day, it was once we both realized we had seen it and we were safe to not spoil anything. It was just all caps screaming at each other. <laughs> how <laughs> much? How much we hated this fucking atrocity of a movie. I was so angry. And not even a Amy Heckerling vamps level atrocity. Like at least that is inept and and cute. Right. At least at he least, tried something. At least Sigourney new. Weaver crawls out of a sarcophagus with a with her head attached to a skeleton body, waving a sword around and singing. <laughs> but this it's not it's not your favorite movie. It's Are not my sure? favorite. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like when I was describing it to you. So then I went and rented it later, and I was like, you know, despite everything I remember, it's still a giant piece of shit. <laughs> but the lodge does not even have a thing that I can remember fondly. No. It was just I was terrible. Ex- I was so excited for it. Even though I did not like Goodnight Mommy. Um, I thought, mm-hmm. well, well, there are some hints in it. I liked Goodnight Mommy up until 
the reveal of what actually was going on. Yeah, that was right. terrible. But the design, the, the design, um, uh, the, 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 there was tension in that film. Sure. Of which yeah. I don't believe there was any in The Lodge. No, no. But I was willing to give them another chance. This looked good. I thought it had good word of mouth. I was like, I'm going to go with this. And so yeah, I Jason, went with it. Jason showed us that short film they did for Field Guide to Evil. And it was like, didn't, it wasn't completely woman Haiti. Oh, yeah. Like, she, like, milks a goat and drinks the milk. But then she finds a lesbian and they go off and be witches together or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. Okay, Lezazusa. Totally <laughs> yeah, it was Lezazusa. I was like, I don't totally get it, but they didn't. Maybe they don't intrinsically hate women. Like, I thought they did after Goodnight Mommy. Yeah. And, and yes, I'm aware like, one of them is a woman. Yeah, they're like, hey. <laughs> Look, women can do anything these days. Women can hate women. Just yes. as well as men can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Equal opportunity. I, that's equal that's opportunity. Called. That's what feminism is all about. Yeah. Equality across misogyny. Mm-hmm. So Thank I... I feel I, I it, like you said. I mean, I was so excited. This was one of my most anticipated movies for the year on that yeah. Nashville Critics uh, thing that we did for for Jason. Like uh, the Lodge was like my first pick of like movies I was most excited for. I couldn't fucking wait. I love I love a cult. I love a Heaven's Gate. Yes. I love an Alicia Silverstone. Um, I liked that kid in It. Uh, mm-hmm. I like dollhouses. <laughs> I like sea monkeys, brine shrimp, if you will. I like the snow. But I like the snow. It's all. It's a great setting. It looked like a fucking fantastic movie, and I made. You know, even the setup. I was here for the setup, and then I got. I got to whatever point it was that the first like twist happens. When basically, you know, it's the it's a family that go off to stay in a lodge. The the mother Alicia Silverstone. Spoiler alert. Fast forward, has shot herself because the dad is hooking up with um, a, 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 a new woman who is a cult survivor who basically survived Heaven's Gate. She was the one person not to die. Except it's like a boring Christian Heaven's Gate that's like super Jesus-y. And I'm like, what? There's no aliens? <laughs> what about the comet? What about the fucking <sighs> comet? You can't like take even the purple blankets they were wearing, like those sash right. things, and and then make them Jesus. I was like, Ugh. but don't you see, Alicia Silverstone was super. See, this is what pisses me off about this movie. Oh, besides man. the dumb twist, yeah, is that they they sprinkled some things that I think they were maybe thought they were saying. Like Alicia Silverstone is super religious, and the kids are super religious. How is that not a cult? Right? Yeah. Versus the woman who was actually in the cult, like religion, blah blah blah. She did it, but it's man. like here you, the the yeah, <laughs> the man, like the dad, met the young woman, the cult survivor, because he was like report. He wrote a book about the cult, and that's how he yeah. Her. And they never talk about like the power dynamics in that relationship or address them in any real way. Um, no, and and uh, Mark, who works at our, our, our office at the Hollywood, we saw it with him, and he went back and was reading about it, and I guess apparently he was supposed to have, like, deprogrammed her from the cult, too. Oh. It's really weird. Like, 
Okay. Which to me just speaks to the hereditary ripoffs in this film, where it's like Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne. He was her therapist. There's the dollhouse. Mm-hmm. There's the. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was all about grief, and they're trying to tie in grief, and it was just it's like, oh, you're tr- you're a Dollar Tree like German hereditary. Absolutely. Yeah, it was like German hereditary and Goodnight Mommy had a baby and this is yeah. and this is what we get. Because and it's like, it, oh, it's like I can see them saying, well, it's exploring the children's grief and how far grief will push you and what that it will make you do and it's like okay, but also you're inventing your own sub-subgenre which is like children driving a woman crazy and torturing her basically when she's done nothing wrong. Yes. Yeah. And wasn't that like super offensive? Like super like mental health shamey, I felt. Yes. Like it's like, okay, you went off your meds that you take for um I'm assuming depression or trauma or maybe some kind of bipolar thing or something. And now you're going to go completely batshit religious and kill everyone. Like <laughs> Right, yes. Like she, what? Yeah, that that pill was the only thing that kept her from like setting herself on fire and murdering everybody yeah yeah like what the fuck what the fuck yeah it was just it was just mean um it was just a mean movie that the second that the first twist happened where they you know they're they're staying in the cabin with the kids it's just her and the kids because dad has to go away so they're staying there for christmas they're waiting for the dad to come back and then the kids like one night they're watching the thing they get out the gas heater and she's like is that safe to have indoors and they're like make a joke about it and then she wakes up everything is gone in the house all their possessions and the kid's like i had a dream that we suffocated from the gas heater and it's like i was like oh motherfucker like that second that happened (laughs) all of my like curious optimism and hopefulness that this was going to be the movie that i thought it was going to be based on what i saw in the trailer or any of that or the word of mouth I was just like, God damn it, they are literally making the same movie. See, I didn't clue into that. I think I was trying to be along for the ride. And so that scene was where it felt like the film actually picked up to me. Because mm. before then, I was like, where? Like, I, you know, I love a slow burn. I love a feel bad movie when the feel bad is kind of earned and tied into the proceedings and not just feel bad because it's cool. Mm-hmm. Which is what I feel like these movies are. Um, but at that point, I was like, oh, you actually are going in some kind of direction now, I hope. Because before that, it was just like plotting, mm-hmm. you know? It just felt like it was going nowhere. And I didn't, I just wasn't into it. And I then was that... distracted. I was thinking about other things while I was watching it. Oh, Yeah. Just, like, not anything in particular, but just, like, my mind was wandering, and I just wasn't engaged, I think, and then... You were thinking about Dorit, weren't you? <laughs> I was thinking about the real housewives. <laughs> no, I was probably thinking, I could be watching Portrait of a Lady on Fire right now. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, something. I mean, uh, who knows what I was thinking about. But once all their belongings disappeared and everything, I thought, oh, all right, here we go. Something's gonna happen. But then nothing happened. But then nothing continued to happen, and then I got real mad. And then it just got super offensive and super mean and hopeless and nihilist, which these fucking filmmakers are hopeless. Hopeless nihilists! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they make me so angry. They make not to me say, angry. Not to say every movie has to be sunshine and rainbows. I like no. dark. I like some dark shit. Uh, look at the 
Descent. That's a feel-bad movie, ultimately, especially with the original ending. Like, that's a feel-bad movie. Every single character dies, and I love them all, and it's a tragedy. And it's a terrifying movie. But this, that's the thing. He doesn't he doesn't kill them all. He doesn't kill them. Neil Marshall doesn't kill all of those women because it's like cool. Yeah, it, like, like if they nihilist. had made the descent, like Sarah would have been driving her car, and then the little girl would have been like, "Hey, mommy!" And then Sarah would have turned around, and the girl would have like <laughs> shot her in the face or shot herself. Yeah, the girl would have been like, "Hey, mommy!" And she would have turned around and she would have said, "Good night." <laughs> They get royalties every time they reference their own movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so The Lodge is a piece of shit. Lodge is a piece of shit. Another one in 2020 bites the dust. I'm now, all I have to look forward to is Brahms the Boy 2. <laughs> <laughs> However, a new um, trailer just uh, dropped, as they say. It sure did. Uh, for the new Candyman by Candy Nia DaCosta. Yeah. Say my name, say my name. I didn't like that part. I realized people liked that part. The slowed down Destiny's Child. I'm not a fan of that at any point when it's used. When you're watching a trailer and you're you're like, what is this song? Is this, do I know this song? And it's like, you know, I don't tell my heart. Achy, breaky heart. <laughs> to like a horror movie i'm like fuck off yeah they always take like a really uh yeah poppy song or something and to make it really like turn it into a slow ballad and make it like apocalyptic <laughs> the worst is perhaps the video game resident evil 7 which used a slow cool version of go tell aunt roadie what yeah for Resident that Evil 7. everyone is dead. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> so bad, right? But I love it every time you do that at karaoke. I well. It's one of your, one of your standards. It's my signature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't into the whole say my name. Say, like, uh... I, I thought, uh, everyone's losing their minds over that. I would actually was like, oh, Isaiah's going to have something to say about it. My friend Isaiah is an amazing black drag queen and burlesque, like, boylesque performer in town um, and has been doing a Candyman number for years set to say my name. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. And I was like, they must have known about Isaiah's act. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's incredible. Um Isaiah Esquire, everyone should look up Isaiah, a uh, fucking amazing performer. Um, but yeah, I, I, I am so, all, like, since the trailer came out, people have been talking to me, like, sharing it with me and asking me about it and what have I thought, and, and I, I, I think I've been, like, performing excitement for it, but I honestly wasn't that into it from what I saw. I... Yeah, I was, I was glad to see, uh, Vanessa L. Williams back as Anne Marie. Yes. But overall, I feel that I was whelmed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I a was, full I just trailer. wasn't excited. Maybe a full trailer, but also I just it didn't get me all pumped up. Also, no one's asked my opinion about it. I wonder really? why. Really? No one's saying I'm not No, I am not a tastemaker. No one cares. That's fine. <laughs> fuck you. I have a blog and a podcast anyway. Go fuck yourself. And I'll give all my opinions all day long. 
Yeah, it's no, um, one, no one asked. No one asked. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that Vanessa Williams was in it until I went back and looked at the IMDb. Um, and I think it is yes. Okay, so granted, from what we could tell, it look. Here's the thing: they're saying sequel. I was expecting sequel. It looks like a remake. However, Anne Marie comes back, and now the main guy, Anthony, the artist, is her son. Who was saved right. from a fire by Helen. Yes. Yeah. Helen is in the film, but she's a young woman. So maybe we see her in flashbacks and they just didn't get Virginia Madsen and de-CGI her face or something. I don't know. That's what I assume is it's some kind of flashback with her. And this is going to be like, a, my assumption is it'll be like a Freddy's dead and Candyman is trying to possess baby Anthony because they have some kind of connection. That's what it looks like. And it looks like like they never showed Candyman and it just seems like he's turning into Candyman. Yeah. Um I I mean, maybe it could be amazing. When I watch it in the theaters, maybe I'll be blown away by it. I did like the part where someone said, like, you know, oh, say his name five times and he'll come and get you and someone said, Who would ever do that? And then they immediately showed a bunch of white people doing it. I did like that part. Oh, yeah. That was funny. In the bathroom? Was that the bathroom scene? Yeah. Yeah. Then they could, like cut to a bunch of white girls actually doing See, it. See, so. I make the bathroom scene is what got me in the trailer. Like, um, yeah. where they're, because it's like, like five or eight girls all in a mirror saying it. And then another girl who isn't playing the game comes in and sits in the stall and then nothing happens and then they can't get out of the bathroom suddenly and then you just see the girl in the stall's perspective as she hears all these girls being murdered and there's blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. That looks great, but it also looks for something about that looked more like a ninety late nineties slasher to me, like an urban legend scene than it looked like a Candyman storyline. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So stylistic. So and so part of me is like I'm excited for that, but it feel it it just it feels so different. Here's the problem. I am one of the assholes. I am excited that Nia Costa is making this. I'm not interested in following a male protagonist. And I am one of the assholes that comes to a Candyman storyline and I'm like, yes, it's, uh, it says a lot about race. That said, I want to see Candy Helen. I think, it, you know, it'll, it'll talk about the gentrification and all of it. Cause Cabrini Green like just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, all that. Like, I think it'll be smart. I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm done with trailers yeah yeah maybe it's just the trailer i'm done because who knows i'm still gonna see it like the night it comes out oh sure i just mm. yeah i think maybe the fatigue of remakes is finally really (laughs) and reboots and things people calling things sequels but then they're not but they are it maybe that's just starting that's just finally getting me at this point yeah no, I agree. I, I it's I'm you know, I feel like in the last couple of years I have to my great surprise been blessed. You know what I mean? Suspiria. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. After those two movies, I feel honestly numb to like <laughs> all new movies because I'm like, <laughs> well, I've had the best horror movie. I've had the best movie. What are, what are you going to give me now? You know, Stacey, I feel that after Birds of Prey came out this year, I don't think I could ever see anything I'll ever like again this year in theaters. <laughs> I mean... Except for the boy. Where? <laughs> where? 
just because I want to see <laughs> well, those moths into Katie Helm's Sure. Face. Yeah, there's stuff I still want to see, but as far as something that's going to, like, knock my socks off, well, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. And, I mean, movies should really step up their game, because as I said, I have a blog and a podcast. And it's not like just anybody can do that. You're a, you have to you have to be specially skilled. So. This is true. You got a CV that says blog, <laughs> podcast. That's right. I'm very important. In case you didn't know. <laughs> anyway. I feel like an asshole now. I'm like I'm excited for Candyman. I guess I don't know. I just I just expect. I'm not. It'll be fine. I'm. I'm, I'm excited for Nia DaCosta. I'm excited that I read that she's like a gore hound and she wanted to make this really bloody. So like at least maybe the movie will have that. I don't know. I literally am numb to these things. I don't yeah. begrudge anyone who is excited about it. I'm going to see it. Like you said, the second it comes out. But whatever. If you're not Portrait of a Lady on Fire, get out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> Straight from the 28 tattoo. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that I don't love the movie that we're going to talk about today, because I do. This, okay, this was my, we are out of great value slashers, people. It's done. I think I just, I think I just started on the wrong track because I talked about The Lodge. I got, that made me angry. Candyman, I don't have the, as much excitement as everyone else is. So I feel like something is wrong with me. I feel like I'm missing nerve endings or something. And then... We started, uh, we, we, we broke out of Great Value Slashers because we asked you all, do you want us to do more Great Value Slashers? And you said yes. And so we said, okay, it's done. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now we're doing a new movie and I saw it for the first time and I have mixed feelings. I'm going to come right out with it. I've got mixed feelings. I think, I think it's worthy of mixed feelings in terms I of liked content. A... Yes. I liked a lot of things about this movie. Does it is it critically extremely well done? Yes. Is it does it have amazing performances? Yes, from one person. Do I? I maybe I should have seen it when I was younger and less angry. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my thoughts. Today we are talking about The Brood, nineteen seventy nine. David Cronenberg, everyone. That's right. Um, I think a lot, maybe, not to, not to presume, not to foist, but I think mixed feelings can come from what are David Cronenberg's intentions with this film. Yes, that's, because I feel like the film functions on two different levels. Two, like, diametric. Very well, different. It, 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 it's like, it's got, I think, layers of meaning, um, and on one of those layers, it also operates in diametrically opposed ways, if that makes sense. I'll elaborate on that. Yes. Uh, you know, at some point. But, you know, that's my feeling of where mixed feelings might come from. Yes, I completely agree. I, I tried, even in my notes, I tried writing out the two trajectories mm -hmm. of the story and how I feel about it. Because <laughs> yeah. obviously how I feel is what drives the story. And... <laughs> uh, and, and it, it, that seems very true to what I was trying to get at that. I can't sort of figure out what, what the two, what the two ends of this story function are actually doing or achieving. Yeah. I think uh, technical, like the horror elements aside, um, because I love the horror elements of this movie. Oh my God. Yes. Flat that's, out. 
It's that's so what good. really got me. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. But thematically, I think I tend to treat The Brood as I also treat High Tension and some other films <clears throat> like that, which are like, okay, if you view it through this angle of the prism, you know, The Brood is awfully sort of um, misogynist, maybe? <laughs> uh, yeah, what might say that? What might say this film hates women? There's a dread of women. There's, you know, a absolutely, literally monstrous view of childbirth, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> if you turn that prism a little bit, it's sort of a critic. I think it works as a criticism of that view also. Yeah. And there is a, there's a rejection of patriarchy and control. And um, I feel like that's all in there. Right. For one character from one very, one perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a complicated film. What's the brood about, Stacy? Oh, fuck you. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> I could <can> do it. <laughs> well, uh, we have Dr. Raglan, portrayed by Oliver Reed, who, do you find Oliver Reed attractive? Uh, not in this film, but in The Devils, I absolutely do. But it helps that he was like a giant nightmare monster drunk wreck, right? Like it kind of yeah. adds that like brando flair to him where it's like you're reviled and repulsed by him but you're also like okay but he could get it <laughs> yeah okay i was just wondering because he's kind of okay. got that reputation uh, dr raglan is the head of the soma free institute of psychoplasmics which have you ever heard anything more david cronenberg in your entire life or also right. more goop <laughs> yeah or more goop uh which at the soma free institute they sort of uh you know Practice the theory that the mind and the body are in it inextricably linked. Uh, his patients, he has them. He does a, sort of a role play with them where he pokes and prods at their weaknesses and gets them to admit to anger and sadness and all of this. And it manifests literally on their bodies. Some of them get boils or sores. Some of them get cancer. Uh, or if you're Nola Carveth. Oh. You discover that you have the ability to give birth to rage babies. To little snowsuit goblins. To snowsuit goblins that are physical <laughs> manifestations of your rage. Yeah. Um, Nola is a patient. She's in isolation at the Soma Free Institute. She's also in the middle of a hotly contested divorce slash custody battle with her husband, Frank. Played by Art Hindle of Black Christmas. Who is, I think, in this, a babe. Oh, he's a total babe. He sent yeah. me, and he sent me an email once, and it was really nice. He did? What did he say? Just, he, he had read, uh, these people Google themselves, you know what I mean? And once upon a time, you could write to somebody, and that's what, I guess he Googled himself or something and read stuff on Final Girl and wrote me about it. Oh. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, so they share a daughter, Candace, um, who goes to visit her mother at the Soma Free Institute on the weekends. One weekend she comes home and Frank notices that her back is covered in scratches and bruises. And so he becomes very concerned that Nola is abusing their daughter. So he sets out to investigate. He's going to talk to his lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he dumps Candace with 
the grandmother, Nola's mother, who was abusive of Nola when Nola was a child. Um, and the next thing you know, the snowsuit clad goblins show up at grandma's house and beat grandma to death with a meat tenderizer. Oh my god. This continues throughout the film. Um, anytime someone kind of does something that Nola doesn't like, her father, who was also abusive, um, ends up beaten to death. A teacher that Nola thinks is having an affair with her husband gets beaten to death by these dwarves. Now, is it Candace? They do bear a striking resemblance to little Candace. Is Candace manifesting these creatures? No. We find out at the end that Nola has a, basically a womb on the outside of her body. Like an alien resurrection. Like an alien resurrection. She is giving birth to these little thingies. Uh, she says that she would rather kill Candace than let her ex-husband have the child. And so Frank kills Nola. Frank and Candace drive off into the sunrise. However, Candace has boils on her arm and a vacant look on her face, her tear-stained face. Things are not going to go well for the remaining members of the Carveth family. <laughs> the cycle of female-induced trauma continues. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... To give Cronenberg the benefit of the doubt, I don't know that he deserves it, um, but to give him the benefit of the doubt, I do think a main crux of the film is the damage that divorce will do to a child. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily, I mean, there is the whole separate issue of how the man is, how the father is portrayed versus how the mother is portrayed. Absolutely. Yeah. Setting that aside for just a moment. I think it's a look at actual divorce because this child basically has a vacant stare through the entire fucking movie. She's numb to everything as she is jostled around from caretaker to caretaker. And the scene at the end is very telling when Frank and Nola are literally physically fighting over this child and who's going to have her while the kid is in the other room in mortal danger. They're not actually concerned with the child herself. They are just concerned with destroying each other. Yeah, yeah. In the name of the child and for their love of the child. But the kid is about to get killed by the snowsuit goblins. <laughs> and so I think that's a main thrust of the film is like, look. And then, you know, at the end where she's got the boils and she's crying and her father isn't really even paying any attention to her. He's not comforting to her much at all. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's look at the effect that divorce can have on a child if you can't fucking behave like adults. Basically. Yeah. And but then that is also conflated by Cronenberg's actual inspiration for the film. Right. Which was going through his own divorce. Yes. And like his wife was took his da their daughter to a commune and then he like flew out to this commune and then picked her up and then flew back with her and then had this gross divorce custody battle or something. Right. Yeah, it's it came out. The, the Brood came out the same year that Kramer versus Kramer came out. Um, and he's famously said that this is his Kramer versus Kramer, but it's more realistic. Yeah, um, he's thought Kramer versus Kramer is too optimistic. It was too optimistic. <laughs> the parents were too nice to each other in his experience. You know, the parents are and it's like, well, shouldn't maybe you should. And so I would like to think that he's saying, don't do that. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. If yeah, you're, okay. If you're actually concerned about the child in all of this, then you need to act in the best interest of the child. And it's not yeah. like saying that you would kill her so the dad can't have her and then murdering the wife. Like, Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is it's just, it's, there's so much like male sympathy in the film. Oh, absolutely. Where like there's no onus on on Art Hindle, on Frank, for right. his part in the divorce. Like, it's like, the wife's a bitch, she's crazy. Her mom was a bitch, she's crazy. Now her daughter's gonna be a bitch, she's crazy. Yeah, and, like, Frank is absolutely, like, he's sainted, basically, in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't help that he's hot. And then I'm like, I'm confused! <laughs> I'm mad at you, but you're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, his, his, what does he say? You know, explaining away his marriage is that you got taken in by a woman who married you for your sanity, hoping it would rub off. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, I guess in times like this, people say horrible things, but it's like, also, your wife is just mentally ill. Like, yeah. You know, I don't. He doesn't always cut a sympathetic character, but I think he's meant to. Mm-hmm. But it to... just feels like there's no criticality around the men in the movie, right? Because like Raglan is fucked up, but like sure. there's ultimately there's no kind of refutation of him except for you know the the some of the patients are trying to build a case against him. And then ultimately he dies when, when he, you know, when he, when the snowsuit goblins <laughs> beat him to death in that, in that ultimate, like that, that final moment. But, but even he's like kind of, his work is actually, like it's legit. Like he's actually creating this new psychoplasmic process. Right. I, I, I think that there's a refutation of the men in the film, but I think it's up to the audience to find it. Hmm. kind of like to make the parallel with high tension it's like yeah yeah most most people say oh it's just homophobic and i'm you know there i am raising my hand nah uh you know they (laughs) raise my hand and say but also if you read it this way you know it's about this this and this and i think there's the fact that raglan is destroyed at the end the fact that all of the men in this film are just a sea of brown clothing Hmm. While the women are all in red or in colors or Nora's got the red hair, Candace is in the... And it's like, okay, what is that signifying? Hmm. Is it like murderous blood rage? Is it something more organic if you want to get all, you know, oh, her honeypot overfloweth. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) since so much of it is concerned with childbirth and the womb and all of that sort of thing. Um, And Nora is discovering powers that she didn't know that she had while she's being suppressed and fought over by these two men her husband and her doctor who neither will let the other see him and both you know try to exert control over her and here she is like the ultimate woman giving birth to murderous rage babies that okay yeah it's interesting yeah she's kept away like she's either like the goal with him with art frank hindle or frank art hindle frank carveth's character frank carveth like he wants to like just remove her from the home environment or keep her in the home environment as a housewife right and then the doctor keeps her locked up in this like in his little lodge her little shanty shack Mm mm-hmm 
And then, but then that moment when, um, and and we should also point out that uh, Nola is the incredible Samantha Egger, also from Curtains, which is obviously why we're doing this episode at this time, because we just did Curtains and fucking loved her so much that we had to do another with her. And uh, she is incredible in this movie, but I was also like, I don't, you don't get to see so, every time we see her is just in these therapy sessions here and there, always in that same setting. Mm-hmm. And then, but then that, that kind of penultimate moment with her where you're like, oh, she's the fucking broodmare. And then <laughs> the birthing of the baby and the licking of like the placenta and the blood and all that. Mm-hmm. And her saying like, I'm a very special woman. I was like, I was 100% here for her in those moments. Oh, yeah. when Frank, She was amazing. When Frank is trying to sweet talk her because basically... Nola is controlling the snowsuit goblins consciously and subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's trying to sweet talk her so that the snow goblins, snowsuit goblins are subdued so that Dr. Raglan can get Candace and escape. And so he's saying all the right things. And just Nola on that bed saying, are you ready for me, Frank? Are you ready for me? And it's mm-hmm. like, it's so fucking powerful. Because and she, she's like, no, you're not ready for me. Get, and he's not. Like, he's not ready to say. And it's like, yeah, it's a monstrous view of childbirth on one hand. On the other hand, it's like, you have husbands and boyfriends who flip out if their wife or girlfriend or whatever is like, can you buy me some tampons while you're out? I just got my period. It's like mm. there is such a fear of everything that has to do with childbirth and a woman's reproductive system. And men have been trying to lock it down since Mm -hmm. the beginning of fucking time. And Mm -hmm. so for her to like open up her robe and here it is in all its glory. And she's going to lick that baby clean like an animal does, which also was Samantha Egger. It was her idea. It was her idea to do that. It's like, I think it's super fucking powerful. And Frank is completely disgusted by it. And she's it, like, you're disgusted by me. You can't fucking handle this. It did It, it did go full on religious when she opens her gown. Mm-hmm. And she's in that sort of, she's in that like very sainted pose. Right. Uh, it's very like fertility goddess mother like pose. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's like a moment of like the camera almost has reverence for her. Okay, am I changing my viewpoints? I don't. Know. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Is she's amazing. Like, she's amazing, and it's like I don't know if this is what Cronenberg intended. I don't think that it is necessarily, but it's how I look at it. It's like, yes, hmm. she ends up getting killed by Frank, but that happens in so many of these movies. Um, the blood spattered bride. You have to look at these movies as in like. Yes, the two lesbians get killed. You know what I mean? And I I don't want to watch lesbians get killed. But sometimes there are ways of viewing these films as condemning what's happening. Like, of course, Frank is going to be disgusted and shut it down. And, you know, mm-hmm. like the the vagina is for fucking. Right. Like mm-hmm. if your boy, you don't want to watch your wife give birth. And then are you going to go near it? After that, after you've seen what it's for, like people get disgusted by a woman breastfeeding a child. And it's like, I'm sorry, breasts are great, but they serve a fucking function. And she's ultimate, like, oh my God, do I love this movie now? She's (laughs) because, well, because she is, um, she is the, the perfect 
evolution of the of Valerie Solanas' scum manifesto because she has destroyed the ne- the necessity for the male sex. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she reproduces on her own. Mm-hmm. That's. I mean, when you said that thing about vagina is only for this purpose, like she doesn't even need the man anymore. Right. She's. The, I think the snowsuit goblins need a little finessing. <laughs> to be viable but... she could use some i mean she could work on some new outfits or gene therapy or things like that yeah right. <laughs> yeah it doesn't help that they have a they have a gas tank that they come born with that only lasts for so long and so many murders before they just croak yeah 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 i just see her as like the ultimate woman and frank can't handle like to me it's an indictment of him it's an indictment at the beginning of the film where we're intro like the opening scene of the film where we're introduced to dr raglan and he's in a session with a patient and he's like playing the role of the abusive father and it's mm-hmm. the typical like oh your name is michael are you sure i shouldn't call you michelle, call you, michelle. you know and he says weakness is more acceptable in a girl therefore you must be a girl and i'm like are you what are you saying david cronenberg are you condemning masculinity because yes weakness is more acceptable in a girl and that's why feminism is good for everybody we should all be able to experience a fucking rainbow of emotions and men shouldn't be considered less than because they demonstrate vulnerability and they shouldn't be considered less than because it's equating them with women who are considered less than mm-hmm so what do you, like, that's the thing, is, like, what is Cronenberg saying with all of this? Hmm. This, I'm all fired up. <laughs> this is fascinating, though. Yeah, because, well, and, and then there's, like, the, the idea of even at the end of, of Frank and Raglan kind of making that pact together, that they're going to go into the, the shack, uh, Raglan's going to go up and, and get the, get Candace out from the snowsuit goblin lair. And then Fr- Frank is going to go down and, and is going to trick Nola into thinking that he wants to be back with her. Right. And she she sees right through their game. Mm-hmm. The snowsuit goblins hiss at Raglan every step of the way until it's time to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just like laughs at Frank because he's so weak and can ne- cannot um, contain her. Mm-hmm. And I guess I wonder also if like the casting of Oliver Reed informs that kind of rock star bullshit uh just aggro dude nature of raglan or if that's supposed to the like hyper masculinity yeah yeah where it's like because it's it it, that first scene coming into this totally blind that first scene i was like so this is a play like i didn't understand that they were like a psychoplasmic center right yeah like i thought this was like some off-broadway show that this guy that that some babe was just watching and i was like okay well i've seen better theater uh but yeah that that aggro dude quality of how he approaches um, his his medical practice slash like psychotherapeutic plasmic practice, uh, conflated by casting Oliver Reed is in in there. Maybe there is some thoughtfulness. I guess I keep going back to like how Cronenberg brought himself into this, and there's almost no accountability or or on screen criticality for the man right. yet. You're right in that the ending, it seems like, okay, he got his daughter back, he killed the evil wife, he saved the day, but he's just going to be killed by one of her, uh, one of Candace's new um, developments. 
Right, because Candace is now the child of, you know, an acrimonious, to put it lightly, divorce. Nola, too, was the child of an acrimonious divorce and mm-hmm. the child of abuse. It's, oh, yeah, and then the, the, the grandpa even talks about that. He's like, I hate seeing you go through and put Candace through what we went through or whatever. Yeah, so it's like a statement on the cyclical nature of, like, neglecting your child. And and maybe maybe to that end, I wonder, like, but is is Cronenberg referencing or acknowledging his own failure there? Right, that's the thing. Because I, I, I... It doesn't it, feel like it. It feels huh. like Frank is just the hero and... And it's up to the audience to infer anything more from it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like... Yeah, I need to watch it again now. Yeah. And I also need... um, I need a woman to remake it. (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say. Is like, that's why I suggested the listener question that we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It makes total sense. And absolutely with this movie. But like to me, when I watch it, like, sure, Frank is the the hero in beige, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, it's like there's a woman who is unaware of her own strength. Mm-hmm. Until she's basically left up to her own devices. She becomes the ultimate, like, disgusting, monstrous monstrous woman in the best ways. She literally is the alien queen. Yeah. And, of course, of course the patriarchy's gonna kill her. Because yeah. patriarchy can't handle it. Like, I was mad at the fact that she was like, he was like, she's like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna kill me? Kill me! And then he just, like, strangles her, and then she just immediately dies, like, so quickly. But also, like, good job, girl. At least she went into it laughing at him, being like, do it, kill me. Right. I'm the most special person on the planet. I'm the motherfucking alien queen. I've got my placenta sack right here. Do it. She is the Earth Mother, and you are all flops. (laughs) Right? Wow. who's afraid of Virginia Woolf uh you know yeah absolutely it's like what what else can huh. you do with your hyper masculine state is all you only you see this that you're not ready for and you have to destroy it and she knows mm-hmm. that and she laughs in his face mm-hmm. listen Samantha Egger is the best thing about this movie <laughs> she's fucking incredible she's incredible I love those snow I... goblin dwarves god the st- okay where do they get the snowsuits? I know. Well, I love that uh, up in their little attic den when they're in their onesies. They all have those second. little like yellow and blue onesies. Yeah, their <laughs> snowsuits are all hanging up. So I would assume yeah. that maybe Dr. Raglan went out or his assistant went out and bought them once they started. Oh, his his little uh, James Marsden assistant. Yeah, yeah. But I love that their little snowsuits are hanging up and they have to get changed out of their onesies and into their snowsuits <laughs> when it's murdering time. Yeah, when it's time to go break into a house and kill grandma. Yeah. <laughs> that, okay, so I was I was like, wow, this is, okay. And I, I sense some body horror coming up because I, I see this guy with his like weird explosive pores on his face in the opening sequence. I see um, Mr. Hartog and his cute little lisp and his lymphosarcomas. <laughs> I see, I see what's happening here. Okay, it says there's some Cronenberg body horror. Okay, when is it gonna... Holy shit, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? Who yeah. is Tiny Mallet Baby? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that sequence was incredible because it also, it struck me as, um, it was wall people adjacent in the beginning right there. Yes. Because uh, then they were like, the, the cops come in and they're talking about it and they're like, oh, there's... 
there there must have been this woman that was just raising a a deformed baby and didn't want anyone to see it and it got loose and killed everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it keeps happening and then there's multiple because it seems like there's just one at first and it like kind of sneers at the little girl from the stairs and then runs away mm-hmm. and then later shows up but then there's more and then more and I just, I love those snowsuit goblins. Mm-hmm. Man, the scene in the classroom where they kill the teacher. Oh my God. Those poor children who have they're to witness little, that. Their little horrified faces as they're just standing there gawking and watching their teacher be brutally murdered. Man, it's so... It, that was it, pretty good. It's an amazing horror movie moment where the kid, it's like, you know, the beginning of kindergarten day and the, the kids are talking and the teacher's talking with them and blah, blah, blah. And we've got the, the score from Howard Shore is playing and mm-hmm. then all the sound drops out and mm-hmm. everything is perfectly still as everyone is just staring at these snowsuit goblins. And he just lets, Cronenberg just lets that moment linger. For like and you know, seconds. as you see this, the you see those snowsuits in the foreground walking up to her. You mm-hmm. just know you're like, oh, those aren't the students. Mm-hmm. That's are, that's fucking good. That's good shit, man. Yeah, and you're like, no, not Miss Meyer. Don't get blood in her hair. Her haircut's so cute. I love her haircut. I love Miss Meyer. Yeah, Miss Meyer. She was great. Yeah. Um, felt so bad for her. R.I.P. Miss Meyer, little queen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking snowsuit goblins. I love that they have bunk beds. Yeah. <laughs> I love their onesies. This yeah. is incredible. Yeah. So I don't know. Is it misogynist? Is it about how the patriarchy takes down powerful women? That's up to you, the viewer, to decide, hmm. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I could totally, I can totally see it both ways. And I think it is easier now, having spoken with you about it, it is easier for me to see even the ways in which I think the the weaker read or pro-male, male sympathy kind of read that I felt like Cronenberg was bringing to it from his own experience. I can see that there might actually be some, some even, some criticality or reflectivity on that, from yeah. that perspective. Even if that's how the movie is filmed and that's sort of how dominant culture might have encountered it back when it came out right it feels like it could still be looking at itself or in a way i would hope that not only would cronenberg be better than but also i would not love a movie so much that the message was solely bitches be crazy yeah You know, like, I I hope Cronenberg is better than that. Although, you know, I think it's kind of true of nearly all of his films that you, it's like, you look at it with one eye closed and it looks like this. Close the other eye and it looks like this. Mm-hmm. You know, but. I do like him, too. I do, too. Absolutely. And his newer stuff also, like Maps of the Stars. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could hate that movie for many reasons, including the the killing of julianne moore as Lindsay lohan (laughs) and yet i love that movie and it doesn't strike me as misogynist right so hmm. yeah man samantha Egger is such a fucking asset though oh absolutely her intensity those crazy eyes Mm-hmm. that um it was there's a great on the i i watched the criterion blu-ray of this yes and there's a fantastic feature I can't remember what it's called. Something birthed something. And um, 
it's just like basically on camera interviews with Samantha Egger about it. That's what she talks about. Uh, um, the the licking of the baby, the f- newborn baby being her idea, which is just like so fucking rad. And I loved her talking about that and how she was like, and then we got the dailies in and we were watching, um, we were watching me licking all the blood and all the men were horrified on set and I was just laughing. Right, see? <laughs> I love her. I mean, there is just a fear of like women's bodies. Yeah. A fear and a loathing. Yeah, I almost feel like if, even if Cronenberg wasn't applying a completely critical lens and, and bringing himself into it in terms of turning it on himself uh, and on Frank, I feel like Samantha really, as an actor and a collaborator, really um, pushed it into more three-dimensional territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's fucking rad. She's I need to see rad. everything with her. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. On the other hand, to all of this, Roger Ebert called this movie reprehensible trash. So, Oh my god, he wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Shut up. <laughs> he doxed fucking Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> it's like, I get it. Sometimes you just see a movie and you don't think it all past the surface or whatever. Like, who has the time to engage with every film they see that way? Especially when that's your job. Yeah. But also, like, sometimes I get so disappointed when people don't look a little deeper. That's yeah. why we have the runaway success of Parasite. It's because people aren't used to, like, <laughs> looking a little deeper at films or watching films that are a little deeper, maybe. I don't know. Like American Beauty. You know, they said look like closer. American, look closer. That was yeah. a really deep movie because it was like he was gay, but, like, he wanted to fuck Mina Savari. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Just like that. Um, yeah no and even me like that's why I was like I have mixed like I was I wasn't coming to this movie being like it's outwardly misogynist but I was like it strikes I think even in my notes I wrote it smacks of someone terrified of women yeah but it could also be read as a rejection of patriarchy Mm -hmm. Um, that's absolutely true so I wouldn't I wouldn't say this is reprehensible trash just because I disagree with the the lack of ownness on the men in the film but I would say you know, it, it's complicated, but the women in, in the message, that moment, even hearing you talk about it, of her giving birth and being the most special woman in the world, like, I get, I get goose pimples mm-hmm. as, as I, as I think about the line when Raglan says, they're the children of her rage. Mm-hmm. Like, that just does it for me. Yeah. And the idea of a woman completely rejecting being trapped in this in this environment where where she is either a clinical study or a housewife um, without any acknowledgement of what she's been through or what she has to face or once and just giving birth to her own fucking private army of snowsuit goblins to yeah. enact her will yeah if only we could all hmm. give birth to our army of snowsuit goblins instead women uh shoot andy warhol or make art Yep, two options. We have the Rage Babies. You have portion of Lady one on might one might say shooting Andy Warhol is art. However, well, this is true. I mean, it's <laughs> real meta art for sure. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's an artistic statement, absolutely. Um, but you know, that's all we can do until yeah. until we develop our external wombs. Well, and then in the case of Valerie, you shoot Andy Warhol, and then you are never taken seriously ever again. Right. 
unlike like another literary person who murdered who like William S. Burroughs who fucking shot and murdered his wife shot her in the head and is celebrated yeah well he took icon. he took drugs <laughs> he, he took pages pages and taped them together yeah <laughs> like, man visionary but yeah that, that those are really just those are the only options for women so yeah. that idea of just completely just outright rejection is really appealing and powerful the mm. children of her rage oh it's mm. nice mm-hmm I would like to clarify that Ebert didn't think it was like a misogynist whatever film. He thought that like the violence and everything was reprehensible. He yeah, like, he just doesn't like blood and he gore. Just, yeah, he doesn't like that kind of stuff. He's like, I don't like the sticky icky. Yeah. Yeah. So. What a weirdo. Hey, weirdo. Hey, the brood, well, man. you know what? He got cursed by Vincent Gallo and then his jaw fell off. So. <laughs> So Betsy Palmer had her revenge. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> Stacey, do we have a listener question today? And I think I know we do. We do, because that's why we watch The Brood. I'm glad you finally saw The Brood. Me too. Thanks for making me watch it. I, you know, I'm going to watch it again. I think I'm going to, I think, I feel like I might have an obsession coming out with this movie, actually, because yeah. of the complications around it. Yeah. Uh, yes, we have a question from Matt's. Our oh, pal Matt's. Homeboy Matt's. Homeboy Matt's. Uh, who asks, what classics would a time-traveling you give to a female auteur instead? And what do you imagine would be different? For oh. example, he cited uh, a... He would love to see the man pain centric The Shining or The Exorcist from a female perspective. Mm-hmm. Great question. The reason also, why I said let's do this question with the brood is because duh, the brood. I mean, it's it's just what would that what would Samantha Egger's performance and character arc look like with a woman directing it? Yeah. What if it was on the surface more sympathetic to her? Mm-hmm. And didn't I mean someone's always gonna say bitches be crazy. Oh yeah, usually me people people go for that sort of thing but just imagine mm-hmm. yeah this is a great this is a fantastic question and also too uh i know we always make fun of our listeners that qualify their examples with what they want us to speak about <laughs> but um two great options there the, oh. both the shining and the exorcist i mean could you imagine the shining for fucking sure like, yeah. I, you know, Stephen King has called Stanley Kubrick's uh, Wendy Torrance, uh, you know, misogynist. I don't agree with that assessment at all. Um, I think Wendy Torrance is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes, she's an abused wife. No, and this is the thing is that and she was an abused actor and she was an abused actor. Um, but here's the thing is that frequently, um, there's a strain of quote-unquote feminism, especially in cinema, that think it's just the answer to everything is for the woman to pick up a shotgun and be a badass. Yeah, a strong female protagonist. The strong female protagonist. And that's just, like, that's fun. I love some of those movies, for sure. And it was just sort of a, you know, the pendulum swinging the other way after women being solely treated as victims in horror movies. Um, but again, 
women should be allowed to experience the rainbow of emotions. And also to that end, sometimes that bullshit's like just a male fantasy by another means. It's a male fantasy. It's it's the, like, for a woman to be valid, she has to be more like a man. It's, it's, I wrote an essay about this in college. It's the phallic mimesis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where you just take the warrior dude, aggro, like, operative of a police state like a secret agent or commando or vigilante whatever um put her basically put him in drag as a woman uh give her guns armor to the teeth and then that's all that's her whole character Mm Mm-hmm. yeah like i mean it's it's the it's i know people love the 1990 night of the living dead but that that barbara to me is a prime example of it of like See, I've heard you say that and I need to rewatch because I was like a early 20s last time I saw that and I love that Barbara but I need to rewatch it I do love that Barbara but I think she's an example of overcorrecting for 1968 Barbara which people have no sympathy for that character and think she's just completely useless because she sits on the couch basically catatonic through traumatized 90%. she's traumatized and we're not I my theory on Barbara I wrote a piece about this for final girl is that like audiences don't want to identify with that kind of character because it reflects on yourself and you don't want to feel like you're weak. You want to see that Barbara and say, well, if that were me, I wouldn't be sitting on the couch traumatized by seeing my brother eaten alive by a zombie and finding a dead body and everything that's going on. You know, I would be strong. I'd be super. And so I think the 1990 Night of the Living Dead swung the pendulum the other way and Barbara's a badass and she has a shotgun and she's not going to take no shit from no zombies, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I like the other Barbara too. And I think she's also deserving of sympathy. And Wendy Torrance doesn't pick up a shotgun, but you know what? She picks up a fucking baseball bat and yes, she's terrified and her husband is coming after her. She's been abused through this whole marriage and look what she does to protect her son and herself. Yeah, she gets them out of there. She gets them out of there, you know. And then in Doctor Sleep, she just can't look at Danny and then is traumatized and she dies. (sighs) (laughs) Sorry about it. Wow. Yeah, Alex Esso gets to do nothing. uh, So I just, I don't see how that Wendy is. If you prefer the book to the movie or whatever, like, that's fine. But I just, I I disagree with Stephen King's read of that character in a big way. I'm I am pro Wendy Torrance forever. But what would have happened? What could have happened with that role? And I agree with you. But what could have happened with that had Shelley Duvall not been traumatized and and her life destroyed in the process, too? Right. Well, I don't Um, I think that's a failing of Stanley Kubrick is Shelley Duvall is a great actress. You don't fucking need to do that to get a great performance out of her. Yeah, it's just called do your fucking job. It's just called let the actress do her job. And I'm just don't also abuse her. I'm tired of like, I'm tired of method actors and asshole directors because it doesn't have to be like that. No, it's not. It's it's not. That's not a thing. It, that's just that's just male performance. It's just male performance. <laughs> it's just it's just toxic. It's just performing toxic masculinity um, Boy. as an occupation. Um, there is a great if anyone like on this topic of like that Barbara and the idea of what would happen if Wendy Torrance picked up a shotgun. Um, there, there, there's a great takedown out there in the comics world of the, like the strong female. It's, I think they're actually just called strong female characters, and it was a comic by Kate Beaton, Ugh. and she did Hark a Vagrant, and it's she did a couple of them under her Hark a Vagrant uh, 
series. You can find them on her, on the website, which is all archived now because she doesn't do them anymore, sadly. I but, love her um, so much. She is. She. I, I feel like Kate Beaton. Uh, I feel like we would get along with her very well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's smart. She's fucking funny. She has a filthy mind, and she's obsessed with like nerd shit. Mm-hmm. Um, strong female characters. Like my. They like. It's everything we're we're talking shit about where it's like they show up and like they have their like their sexy kitten bob hair. They have like their leather bodysuits, their tits are hanging out, and they're like, Didn't you hear? Sexism is over. <laughs> and I love them so much. I want the poster so bad of them. Um Also, if you're interested in this topic, not to spoil things for the future, fucking go see Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Go see Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It tears Please. it all down, baby. It tears it all down. It's opening wide, like right now. Yeah. Go see it. Go see it. Go see it. It it, it is so refreshing. It is um It's the most feminist say? film ever made. I, I love say, it would, so we, would we say the most feminist film ever made? Yeah. When you look at movies coming out right now that are the soup the most feminist films ever made, obviously we have Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and then to the mirror in uh, uh, Bizarro Verse version of that, we have um, Promising Young Woman that's coming out. <laughs> that looks like it's just going to continue this um, more toxic approach to women. Yeah. Uh, based on things that I have had spoiled to me about the plot that make me very angry. But um, yeah, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Can't fucking endorse it enough. Um, so. Uh, classics that we are going to shift and have directed by women instead of the male auteur, instead of the Jonathan Strikers who have existed throughout time. <laughs> right? Man, I, I I don't know that many of mine are classics. But basically, I would like every movie that, every horror movie that is quote-unquote feminist, considered feminist. Here's ten feminist horror movies for you to watch. I would like to see them made by women. Uh, anything that is a oh, woman's story. You know, uh, something like Teeth. Vagina Dentata. Yeah. I'd like to see that, that made by mm-hmm. a woman. Uh, anything that is concerned with the horrors of motherhood. Grace. The only one that, and I mean, it's, it feels so counterintuitive for me to say it, is I do think that Rosemary's Baby is, like, perfect. I agree. Somehow. I agree. He was in a very different place in 1968. Yes. So I will we say We know that. what we're talking about when we say that. Yes. But, um, you know, the film Grace. Any of those films about the fears yeah, of motherhood. Yeah, wasn't Grace made by... Um, Paul Solent. It was by, like, Adam Green's bud. Yeah. Um, and now this is not to say, this is when people get all hoity-toity and start saying, well, women can't make movies anymore. No. But what I'm saying is that the straight white man has controlled the discourse and the narrative and the way cinema has gone and the way storytelling has gone. And You sh- own everything. You don't <laughs> own everything. And the straight white man has told the stories of straight white men they have told the stories of women. They have told the stories of gay people. They have told the stories of minorities of every fucking stripe since the beginning of fucking time. And I'm sorry, but a Google search cannot replace life experience. 
And so yeah. while some of the movies that these men have made are fucking fantastic, there is a missing element that only someone of that experience and demographic is going to bring to the table. And this is not to say that every movie made by a woman is going to be great, et cetera, et cetera, because I initially thought, oh, well, I would love to see a woman direct Carrie. And then I was like, kind of already happened, Stacey, and it sucked. I, uh, th- th- she got crossed off my list after I had that realization. <laughs> yeah, like that happened. Or like something like Black Christmas, which I haven't seen. Whatever. Um, oh, Stacey, that haunted bust has your name. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you can't, like, sure, you want to tell a tale, tell a fucking tale. But like, I'm not going to take it upon myself to write a movie about you know what it's like to be a black woman in the inner city whatever or a black woman in the suburbs or a black woman anywhere because i'm not a fucking black woman mm-hmm. do you know what i mean and mm-hmm. sure i can google all i want and read audrey lord and fucking maya angelou or whatever the else research i want to do it's not going to be the same thing and it's not but be you're not coming good. from the actual experience i'm not coming from the experience it's not no my research fucking... will do that it's not my story to tell and so all of these men who have been like, wouldn't it be scary if a woman's vagina had teeth in it? It's like, <laughs> how about if we don't see what it would be like to be so scared that your dick is going to get eaten off? And, like, I had a lot of problems with that movie. Mm-hmm. Let's have a woman do it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I would say let's have a woman do The Brood. Then again, I haven't seen the Sasuke sisters' take on Rabid. So... I can't, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't mean a woman's take is going to be a better film. Yeah, it might not be. It might not be. But I my mean, God, let, Carrie. <laughs> let people tell their own stories. Yeah, I agree. I'm fired up today. You are. The brood got me all heated. Listen, it was that one-two punch of the lodge being a piece of shit and then the brood being like, do I hate women or don't I? Am I empowering? I feel female rage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I it's would a like, complicated world. Do I think Suspiria is perfect? Sure. Do I feel like I would love to see a woman's take on some Dario Argento stuff? Yep. That's one of mine. Well, and I mean, even, yeah, our our perfect, perfect, perfect Lucas Suspiria. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what would it have sound? What would it have felt like if, I mean, uh, I'm not going to, I'm like Karen Kusama. I don't know. Like what, what would it feel like if a woman had directed it? And um, we hear a woman's voice on the soundtrack the whole time instead of Tom York. Mm-hmm. I agree. I had the craft written down, and then I remembered that that's actually happening. I guess, right? That's a yeah, a remake that is happening. Yeah, supposedly no, by a woman. We'll see. Yeah, supposedly they keep it was it was going to be the director of Honeymoon, who she's fucking amazing, and then um. And then she got, like, replaced, I think, and somebody else is now doing the craft. Yeah. But I think it is still a woman. Because still... I think Blum... Blumhouse did, at least, I mean, and Blumhouse has decided, well, if it's primarily, like, a woman's story, however you define that, they're going to try to get women filmmakers. Right. Well, because they, they got... Black Christmas and... They got raked over the coals by it. With the yeah. whole, like, you know, well, if there were women filmmakers, this is the thing. Is that with the, oh. <laughs> I'm, burning yep. my, I'm burning my bra today. Is that women Burn that bra. used to be able to do things. Women used to paint. Women used to make films. Blah, 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 blah. And then the patriarchy takes that power away from them. Right? Mm-hmm. 
we're not allowed to do these things. That's not a woman's place. And then it gets to a point where we say, hey, what about us? And they say, well, if you were doing anything, then we'd hire you. If you were making movies, if you were making better movies. Which Jason Blum famously said. Yeah. We have our eyes on many uh, directors. Just we don't, there aren't many women directors in horror. And it's like, first of all, that's a crock of shit in this day and age. Like that yeah. argument does not fly anymore. Oh, what, well, if we actually had a gay director, uh, they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to get out your fucking magnifying glass anymore to mm-hmm. find them uh in this day and age but it's like you know women have just had had privileges taken away from them and then punished when they are not uh you know on the same level as men yeah well and then and then there's the the this this thing that happens where it's like it's like it's like the trans bathroom like people like trans people want to use a restroom and then it's like well we're gonna take away restrooms from everybody nobody can use a restroom no trans person no queer person can ever use a restroom in response to this because you are encroaching on our ownership of everything right um that's translating to film now where it's like okay uh a woman is a jedi and a woman is leading the fleet and it's like all the fanboys rejected and the last jedi um despite doing fantastically disney makes an entire film in response to course corrected and to make it a celebration of toxic masculinity in response mm-hmm. um ghostbusters we all saw what happened with that meltdown regardless of how you feel about that movie i thought it was fun and great uh regardless of how you feel the internet melted down, completely melted down over the Ghostbusters remake. Oh, yeah. Um, it, I mean, even even my, my favorite fucking film that I keep talking about, Birds of Prey. <laughs> like, everyone was, all these male critics and box office people were so quick to dismiss it as a giant flop, even though it's performing at the exact same level as Kingsman did at the exact same time period in the year. Um has made the same amount of money, had the same budget, and Kingsman spawned, like, two sequels and a prequel. Mm-hmm. And everyone's saying, oh, well, this didn't make Avengers money, so it's a giant failure. Yeah. Just because it, it stars all women, there are no romantic leads, there are two men who are villains, and a woman made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's this, there's this cultural clapback to people getting to... Uh, being afforded opportunities because it's being seen as taking away opportunities by the people that always took them. Yeah. Women's stories in particular are only allowed to be accepted by the general population are only allowed to be told in a certain way. Yes. Harley Quinn has to look real fuckable, even Mm -hmm. though in what fucking universe is Margot Robbie not attractive? Mm -hmm. She could like wear a garbage bag on her face and her body and she'd still be attractive no and that's what's fucking weird with birds of prey is people are like oh well like dudes are saying she's not fuckable there's no sex appeal to her and it's like because she isn't wearing those like that thong from suicide squad yeah she's not wearing coochie cutters like what the fuck yeah so the women have to be straight men have to want to fuck her she has to be Um, next to naked Men have to figure into the storyline. Otherwise, I mean, look at Carol. Look at, I don't know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Mm -hmm. where men do not like, sure, Carol, there's the whole, you know, divorce and custody or whatever. But it's women existing without men. And that's not allowed to happen. It's a very narrow definition of what women's stories are meant to be. Yeah. 
because otherwise then it's just women singing into hairbrushes and men aren't interested at all for for it to be a film that uh, you know everyone embraces and it's specific or if it or it becomes like that it becomes like trauma porn it becomes like motherhood porn it becomes Mm -hmm. like mother-daughter thing it becomes a generational like women are only reduced to their place in the home or in terms of children Mm -hmm. this even extends to our strong female characters that we i mean sarah connor started out as just a waitress mom yeah, I know all those. That's the thing. All those great, like, empowered women movies of the 90s. I remember seeing them and being like, oh, my God, Sarah Connor is incredible. Oh, my God, Ripley is incredible. They also are both mothers. They're <laughs> like, both mothers. And that's like Ripley. I mean, I wrote I was I was, I remember I was on a layover, I think, from Australia and I was drunk at a bar on an eight hour over lay hour, like just <laughs> posting about this. But I like wrote this giant thing about. Why well, I love Alien Resurrection. Like, Ripley, that motherhood was foisted upon her in Aliens. Like, James mm-hmm. Cameron put that on Ripley. She was, because why else would she have such a strong sense? Of, I mean, what's kind of fascinating about Alien is not only that Ripley, I mean, she gets, gen, she was gender flipped, basically. It was a man in the script. Right. She's gender swapped. Um, so naturally, she has to go into her, her underwear at the end. But besides that, <laughs> she's actually really a, just a strong survivor. Right. Um, also, Veronica Cartwright's character is canonically trans, which is also fascinating about Alien. Um, but, like, she, she is this survivor. So then in the sequel, James Cameron's like, well, mm, okay, getting into the backstory, getting in the mind of the character, why would she be so concerned with survival? Obviously, the only answer is that she has a daughter waiting for her back on Earth. Mm-hmm. I reject the Amanda Ripley hypothesis. <laughs> and that's that's why I love Alien Resurrection, because in that, like, she literally kills her baby, sucks it out into space, and dikes out with Winona Ryder. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and it's like, it's a it's a queer feminist rejection of this idea of, of, of enforcing motherhood on our female characters right. um, as why they're so strong. Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's why how I, they were acceptable. Yeah, that's why I love Sarah Connor and Terminator Dark Fate. She is a cranky old drunk. John Connor is dead. And she just shows up to blow up Terminators whenever she can. Right. Like, there is <laughs> there is no stakes for her that she is personally involved in except her own interests and her own agency. But then, you know, greater culture looks at it. They says, oh, they cast a woman as a as a protector. They cast Sarah Connor, an, an older woman. And then they cast a Latinx woman. So I'm not going to see this and now it's going to be a giant box office failure. Right. Well, look at Ghostbusters, like you mentioned. Look how they've course corrected with that. Is like, I mean, I've only seen the trailer, obviously, but like it's children. And the only woman in that fucking trailer is a mom protecting her children. It's boys on bikes again. It's boys on bikes because Ghostbusting is for men and children. Women, which I do not, uh, you are not welcome here. And the reaction to the Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters trailer, where it's like, oh, they're making, it's coming back. It's ghost, it feels like Ghostbusters again. And I'm like, Ghostbusters was in a city with four dudes and like Sigourney Weaver and the amazing receptionist and Slimer. And it was funny. And this is like the Dust Bowl and the farm and kids on bikes finding a proton pack. Nothing about this says Ghostbusters. Like, the Mm -hmm. remake was the exact same thing, just with women, and it was funny. But it was, you see, the key word there is women. women. (laughs) Oh, and women aren't funny also, I forgot. Women are not funny. I just, like, I just, sometimes I have these brief, beautiful moments of 
ignorance where I forget how deeply misogyny and racism run mm -hmm. in this world. Mm -hmm. You know, where I just bliss out for a moment and you forget and you you and then you're snapped back to reality and you see how it permeates every single fucking part of our culture from the obvious to the insidious. It's just like all of it. Yeah, you like you think it, it's funny too because then we make these strides like okay, women are Jedi. Oh wait, never mind. She's just Palpatine's granddaughter. Um, women are Ghostbusters. Oh wait, never mind. Now they're boys on bikes. Uh, Rose Tico, Kelly Marie Tran as the first Asian character, Asian woman in Star Wars as a lead in Last Jedi. Like she has ten minutes in the movie. She is a main character, and then all of a sudden in the the new one. Oh no, never mind. The fans were angry. We're taking that back. She is just one minute in the background. Mm -hmm. And it's like it it the if they if they weren't course correcting the course correcting, like Yeah. Think of where we could like, be. They give us the, these things and then they just revoke them because they're like, oh never mind, we were too the same thing with the fucking Malef I love Maleficent. I can't believe Disney made a, a really powerful and affecting and and actually emotionally earnest movie about rape and um and and I still can't believe the level of feminism I saw in that film. And then the sequel, they just throw it all out. And it just becomes a weird catfight story. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe maybe part of it is that we are in an era of huge social change. And it doesn't always feel like it. Like if we can sort of hover above society, which sounds so stupid, mm -hmm. but I mean, then you can see the strides that we've made. Because when you think about it, it's like, you know, being over the age of fucking 20, the fact that they have like gay cartoons now and all this, it's like, oh my God, do you know the crumbs we had to, to like be thrilled with back then? Mm hmm Oh yeah, a, a longing glance in Sarah, uh, initiation of Sarah, <laughs> versus exactly, like, yeah, versus like an actual like like uh, portrait of a lady on fire, or 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 yeah. even even the I mean even just the the queerness in Suspiria that like is on screen but more subtle. Yeah, I mean I like, said that feels like a crumb after portrait. Yeah. <laughs> It really does. It's like 2015 when Carol came. I was like, I never thought I would get a movie like this. Like Carol. In fucking 2015. I'm already 75 years old. How much longer do I have to wait? <laughs> 2015. And then here we are. And Portrait of a Lady on Fire comes out. And I'm like, I, did, I thought Carol was the apex. I didn't even know that a movie could be like this. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, and so that's also why I feel a little numb to everything. Because I'm like, well, where do we go from here? Yeah, but I'll settle. Just... I'll settle down. But I mean, uh, you know, it's like you forget how far we've come, and it's like it's just not gonna be far enough for me until everything is fifty-fifty. Well, but but then we're trying to enforce a false fifty-fifty, like a false meeting of the red and blue in the country. Everyone keeps talking about how we need to heal this divide, and it's like there isn't a divide. We're actually just being controlled by a dictatorship. One, right? <laughs> and yeah. everyone is being lied to via mass communication and data mining. Um, but the, instead of this trying to strike a balance and trying to, okay, well, Ray is a Jedi, but she's also Palpatine's granddaughter. It's like why don't we just commit to telling radical stories? 
Well, right. Well, that's what I mean by 50-50. I mean until, I don't mean like Barbara with a shotgun. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I don't mean yeah, yeah, settling yeah. for crumbs of just because a female protagonist. There could be a movie that is a female protagonist directed by a woman, et cetera, et cetera. And it can still be fucking shitty as fuck. Because like, yeah. I, like I said 200 hours ago, women can be just as misogynist as men. Mm-hmm. I've known some very vocal feminists, quote unquote, who are some of the most misogynist people I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and there's gatekeepers and, yeah. There's gatekeepers and, and all this other stuff. So I, I just mean, like, more parody, I guess. Like, I just want, and it's happening. I want to see stories about people of color told by people of color that aren't mm-hmm. the same old thing. Do you know what I mean? Like Oh, that aren't Candyman again? <laughs> or, yeah. or Well, what? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, we also, you know, the same old thing is also a series of stepping stones. Like, you look at LGBT movies and how many... Before Carol, it was just, you know, like, oh, the gay character had to die. The woman is torn. Mm-hmm. It goes back oh, to Oh, and they're husband. all the same story. Like, when we, when we watched Portrait, we were talking about how, like, oh, isn't it so nice to not have... Um, uh, to have a queer storyline where there isn't... A, there isn't a, one of the lovers flips. Yeah. And becomes straight or rejects it. Or there's the gay panic. Yeah, there's Which no is in every hands. single other gay movie up until this point. Yeah, I mean, Portrait is unique in so many ways, but it's like, it, as far as gay movies, it's like just that sort of narrow definition. It's like, it's not a coming of age story. It's not a coming out story. It's mm-hmm. not someone, you know, yeah, flipping one way or the other. It's like, it just is allowed to exist mm-hmm. on its own. And that's what I want from all of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 100%. That's all. So, we're... We're just too feminist today. (laughs) It's so unlike us. Susan Powder just crawled up our craws and died. (laughs) She did. I mean, (laughs) pulling dreadlocks out of my ass for a week. (laughs) While screaming, stop the insanity! (laughs) Oh, God, stop the insanity! (laughs) It's like the magician scarves. It's just fucking white dreadlocks keep <laughs> just coming a white out. Dread that keeps coming out. <laughs> well, thank God we just undid all of our feminism just then. It's true. So that said, um, I chose some films. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my list. <laughs> Two hours later of ranting we and really got fucking revved up today. This is good. I, this is good. There's been a conflation of events you know what i mean and i'm just revved up like you said rev it up listen you watched the reunion so you are ready to fight i'm ready for conflict motherfucker <laughs> that's what you say <laughs> when you show up to the housewives reunion <laughs> yeah i'm ready for i got my barrettes in i am ready for conflict so i i thought along the same lines of like okay well carrie would be you know but oh wait that already happened and then there's films that are already kind of perfect as they are but i'm like well what would happen if 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 you know, something like Carrie or like uh, The Stepford Wives. Um, amazing, amazing fucking movie. Perfect as it is. But what would happen if a woman did it? How would it be different? I'd be interested to see that. Um, Eyes Without a Face is another one of those that I think mm. would be really fascinating to see a, a modern day version kind of a, attempted or tackled by a woman. Um, mm. And then I had uh, like The Hunger. What would happen if... I had that too! What would happen if The Hunger was handled by... Because... Grant, I like The Hunger. I think both Catherine Deneuve and Susan Sarandon are 
atrocities of human beings in their present state, um, politically. Uh, but I, I'm a fan of the hunger, but it's also like so fucking heterogazy. And I mean, anyone that's like, oh, this is queer horror. I mean, no, this is a bro fantasy of what, of what queer horror looks like. Yeah. Sometimes the bro fantasy has women you're attracted to in it. Yes. It doesn't make it any, you know, yes. anymore. Is Catherine Deneuve perfect as this character? I think so. But yeah. I would love to see what happens if a woman really engaged with that text. And also the book itself, I mean, yes, written by a man, written by Whitley Strieber. Like, um, it, but it, it did very different things. And uh, there was actually a lot more complexity afforded to, like, Susan Sarandon's character in the book that I would like to see explored by a female filmmaker. So The Hunger is one of mine. I would like to see any fucking lesbian vampire movie tackled by a woman. Because as of now, I mean, what do we have? Taste of Flesh, Taste of Fear by Stacey Ponder. (laughs) I think that's the one. (laughs) I think that's the one. But here's a very popular subgenre, a subgenre I frequently love. Um, Let's have it made by a fucking lesbian. Have you ever seen The Velvet Vampire, the 70s? No. I haven't seen it, but it's a Stephanie Stephanie Rothman or Rothschild or something. Oh, Rothman, um, she yeah. directed a woman. A woman directed it, but I think it's kind of like a, a couple, and then there's a vampire woman, kind of Daughters of Darknessy. But I think there's there might be some lesing out. But I'm interested to see that one. Um, Most, but it's early '70s, so who knows? Vast majority of the lesbian vampire movies would be more correctly called bisexual vampires. Yes, this is true. Because you know, they're like, I ooh, just... watch me wax the tits. Ooh. Ooh, I'm going to have sex with all these men before I kill them. I'll kill them, but first we have to have sex. Because like, <laughs> I'm, right. I'm a lesbian. Because I'm a lesbian. It's like, I would love to see <laughs> even any kind of queer filmmaker make fucking lesbian vampire movie. Oh, yeah. I well, want I think... a Hammer style gothic lesbian vampire movie made by a lesbian i want the portrait of a lady on a fire team to to make a lesbian vampire film produced by luca (laughs) don't could you imagine adele as a lesbian vampire she already is (laughs) are you weeping i'm we i might actually my eyes are tearing up That's um, cinema. That is cinema's final form for me. Well, and I was thinking the other day, I was like, I think that's the next, next, next frontier in horror is how can we recontextualize vampires now? Because mm-hmm. they, they had their time and they came and went and the, the session went away. But I'm like, I think they could still do something with it. I just don't know what it is. I think you're right. But an actual gay lesbian vampire, <laughs> gay lesbian vampire <laughs> story, um, and yeah. a good one. I want a good. Let me a clarify. Good I want a good one. And how do you make vampires fresh again? And how do you make them actually gay? I think that's the future for horror, or one uh... of the futures. Um, what else is on my list? Tenebra, uh, Tenebrae, Tenebra, Tenebro, the Dario Argento film. Yeah. Um, it's Dario trying to be critical of himself as a misogynist, and the film is about a a male filmmaker who or a novelist who writes horror stories where women all die and he's called a misogynist and it's him kind of grappling with this projection of his identity 
and the film just continues to be misogynist and not really critical <laughs> of it so i don't know i think that could be one like have a woman make a fucking jollo that's a remake of tenebra see what mm-hmm. happens with that um and the big one on my list the big 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 one because this is so cited as a, a, an incredible film a formative film a hollywood classic a, a, a suspense thriller masterclass. Uh, is Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. I fucking hate Vertigo so much. I hate this movie. It is a piece of shit. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It has a fantastic uh, backdrop and use of San Francisco. Um, I believe it's Kim Novak in that one, right? Kim Novak? Yes. Yep. Kim Novak is amazing in it. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, who I typically like, is a little scum-sucking piece of shit in this film. <laughs> and... <laughs> And it's entirely about Hitchcock's relation to the muse and his obsession with the blonde woman and his his complete sense of fragility and weakness and 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 uh, his inability to control himself around the blonde around the Hitchcockian blonde muse. And Jimmy Stewart, it's I, I've heard people say it's supposed to be critical of it. It's it's a it's a meditation on it. Um I, I went and saw it in 70 millimeter at the Hollywood like a year or two ago for the first time. And I was so excited because I do really like Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. And I was so fucking livid, especially at the ending, because the whole movie is this man who meets this woman. He's trying to first off save her, then contain her. Um, and the whole ending basically is her trying to just become her own person and get away from him. She runs up to a clock tower. He tries to save her. She gets spooked and falls out of the tower to her demise. And he has to live with it. And I'm like, it. the obvious answer, Alfred, is that he falls out of the clock tower. She is spared a life having to deal with this shitty man. And she just gets to be perfect Kim Novak. It would have been a fantastic movie had it had that ending. It would have actually been critical of this like subjugation of women and, and, and muse and this obsession um so i want to see a woman remake vertigo and do it better Mm. (laughs) than than this scumbag uh yeah 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 those are the big ones for me also bride of frankenstein everyone's talking about remaking it and every time they talk about remaking it they keep talking they keep throwing out male names and like i it makes sense for bill condon to do that movie because he did what gods and monsters and and stuff but like why not have a woman if you're gonna remake it why not actually have it come from a woman's perspective yeah because the bride herself this uh, uh, archetypal female horror character uh is shows up in the last five minutes of the movie doesn't say anything screams and then a castle falls on her (laughs) (laughs) i love the bride of frankenstein i love elsa lancaster it would have been great if she had gotten to do anything right yeah, I and mean, I I like her as she is in terms of like rejecting what a woman oh. should be. Re- you know, yeah, yeah, yes. icon, absolutely, one hundred percent. But what if she also had a storyline? <laughs> the movie is called The Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, the movie is called Mandy, and then you put yes. her in a sleeping bag and set her on fire. Like, yeah, you know. God. How fun would it? Have, I mean, we've said Damn this time it. and again. How fun would it would have been if Mandy had walked around with that? She cast that battle axe. Mm-hmm. 
And then we get to see Nicolas Cage on fire in a sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. You could still have Cheddar Goblin fuckboys. Like, mm-hmm. but then we also get Mandy fucking kicking ass and killing those LSD bikers. Exactly. Maybe then I wouldn't care that it was an 18 hour long movie with just the color red. <laughs> Oh, well. So the world's fucked. The world's fucked? <laughs> fuck but the you patriarchy. Know, fuck the lodge. Fuck the police. Fuck the police. Fuck the lodge. Fuck the lodge. What, what I learned more than anything on this episode is fuck the lodge. Fuck the lodge, man. I can't believe a woman directed that. I know. I know. Women can do anything these days. You know. So if we have any listeners left. If anyone is still, if anyone remains on our lawn in if, front of yeah, our uh, yeah, chairs. Exactly. If anyone is still listening to this episode or will uh, opt to come back in the future. <laughs> do you have a question? Feel free to send it to us. We're on social medias. Facebook and Instagram at Gaylords of Darkness. Twitter at Gaylords of D. You can email us at gaylords at gaylordsofdarkness.com. Uh, I don't know. I feel exhausted. This is what happens when we step away from Great Value Slashers. Is this like, is... <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. We, we remember that the world is crap. Yeah. There's no Rhonda Johnson out there to save us. <laughs> There's not even a fucking doll we can buy. And then it's we true. have to watch Alicia Silverstone shoot herself. Yeah. So really, if you didn't like this episode, listeners, it's your fault. It's your fault because you buy into the system. Oh, I was going to say because they said maybe you could just do like one great value slasher a month. Oh. Well, this hey, is but what you get. That's playing into the system. It's playing into the system. You, you get burning bras. You get dreadlock ass scarves. <laughs> That's that's our psychoplasmics. <laughs> we just keep pulling dread white dreads out. That's right. Uh, anyway, um, whatever. Fight the power, man. Fight yeah. the power. Pull that dreadlock out. Stacy, our dragon chariot has appeared. We have slain our listeners. We shall fly <laughs> off into the sky. Yes. Goodbye. Wow, for a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my god! god. Oh my god! God. Tune in next time for more Gaylords of Darkness! Ha, 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 ha.